Uh, I'm Jack. I'm an elder here at OCC, and it's a real privilege to have some time with you this morning to talk about hope and joy. You know, I think about giving a message. You should probably share some personal experience, and so I had this idea. I said, man, this is great. I was going to call, originally, I was going to call the message, I found hope in a guardrail. It's a true story. So Bill Daly and I did some bicycling in Portugal last September. And one day the route included this steep, unpaved, steep, winding, rutted, rocky. Did I mention steep? (laughs) It wasn't long before I was at the end of my ability to continue the climb. Until I saw the guardrail. The top of the climb a paved road that was going to be going downhill. I had hope. I pedaled with renewed strength. And I was anticipating the joy of achievement. That lasted about five yards. (laughs) I had to get off the bike and push it to the top. There was no joy after all. As powerful as hope is, it sometimes fails us. So I knew, of course, that if I was going to talk about hope and joy, I'd have to focus on the biblical teaching about what sustains us in anticipation of the joy of realizing the hope we have as Christians. So we'll explore all of this in a message I decided to call Unseen Hope and Inappropriate Joy. My hope for this message is that we come to better understand and embrace this unique, life-sustaining nature of the hope that we Christians have been given. I'll start with a prayer, and I'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Let us give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He gave us new life by raising Jesus Christ from death. Amen. Peter calls attention to God's mercy, from which we get new life. Now, there are several lists in the Bible, the fruit of the Spirit, the full armor of God, but as near as I can tell, there is no list that's called things that are new in your new life. So actually, this prompted me to do a lot of study. I did some personal Bible study, and I found we're given several things that define and sustain these new lives that we have in Jesus. Now, first, when we accept Jesus as Savior, we acquire a new identity. This is how God sees us. This happens once. It's not something we grow or mature into. But we're also sanctified. In other words, we're set apart for a purpose. And in my studies, I found seven things that provide sustenance and define disciplines and connect us to the process of bearing fruit as we mature in our new lives with Jesus as Lord. One of these, an element of sustenance, is hope. So what is this hope? And what's this role in our new lives? Let's see how hope is presented in Scripture. Now, just to let you know, you won't see the word hope written three different ways in the Bible. However, they do appear often. Uh, In Romans 
chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, Paul refers to them directly or indirectly a total of seven times. So let's first look at Romans 8, 24. He writes, Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? So Paul calls attention to this thing he calls hope that is seen, and it does not seem to impress him very much. He writes it off as being no better than no hope at all. You know, an example of this kind of hope is, I, I hope it doesn't rain Thursday because I have plans. <clears throat> this hope has three characteristics. It expresses a personal desire to realize something in the future where the outcome is uncertain, but highly desired by us. When Thursday has come and gone, we will know the outcome. It either rained or it didn't. And at that point, this hope dies. It doesn't make any sense, you know, for a few days later to say, well, gee, I hope it rained last Thursday. This kind of hope doesn't provide any meaningful sustenance to our lives. In fact, and I know someone personally who may do this, we may fret over the outcome until we see it. You know, look at the weather app every hour, days in advance, and oh, worry about this. If there is a benefit, it would be that knowing that we can't control the outcome, we might make plans to minimize the effect of not getting our way. You know, make sure we have an umbrella on the day in question. So now let's look at hope and hope. These are referred to in Romans 8.25. Paul writes, But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So here Paul introduces hope, our desire for something. But what is it that we hope for? That thing that we do not yet have. That thing that we wait for patiently. Paul's not specific here. He refers to it as what we do not yet have. And it is the it that we wait for. Now I had this brilliant idea. There are lots of versions of the Bible and then the English language. And I thought, you know, here's an opportunity to imagine an English language hope version of the Bible. And so looking at Romans 8.25 in the hope version, but if we hope for the hope we do not yet have, we wait for this hope patiently. Now, interestingly, the Apostle Peter also has a lot to say about hope and hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he describes the hope we have, and then he tells us what that hope that we wait for is. So if we look into 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Let us give, this may sound familiar to you here for a minute, let us give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he gave us new life by raising Jesus Christ from death. And he goes on. This fills us with a living hope. And so we look forward to possessing the rich blessings that God keeps for his people. An important part of our new life with Jesus as Lord is this living hope. It's given us for the purpose of sustaining us. Now this hope is a verb. We actively look forward to something. The looking forward is anticipating a future event 
and expressing the fact that it is something we value and we're eager to see. So in this case, is there a difference between living hope and hope that is seen? We express a desire now for something we want in the future. Well, yes, they are very different. They're different because of the source of our hope, the object of our hope, and the certainty of realizing our hope when we finally experience that hope. The source of this hope is explained quite clearly by Peter. It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death. It's a living hope for us during our lives because Jesus Christ is alive. Amen? Okay, so let's return to this verse and pick up a little bit of verse 4 and go on through verse 5 in 1 Peter 1. Uh, he writes, and so we look forward to possessing the rich blessings that God keeps for his people. He keeps them for you in heaven, where they cannot decay or spoil or fade away. They are for you who through faith are kept safe by God's power. Now, in other English translations of this section, rich blessings is rendered as inheritance, gift, heritage, and even as something. The something we look forward to is a noun. So I would suggest that we capture all of these descriptions in the word HOPE in all caps. One aspect of hope is that it is promised to us. We see this in John chapter 14, verse 2. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's having a very long discourse with his disciples. And in the course of that, he says this. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Jesus considers what he is preparing for us to be of great value. He reassures his disciples of this. But he also informs them that they will not actually see it until sometime in the future after he has gone ahead. Of course, this hope is not just for his apostles. It is for all who through faith are kept safe by God. This rich blessing, the hope we wait for in our faith-guarded lives, is assured. So faith, assurance, and hope, they're actually all brought together in the book of Hebrews, first, uh, the 11th chapter in the first verse, which reads like this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. If we look at this in the context of hope, the hope version of the Bible, Hebrews 11.1 would read this way. Now faith is confidence in the hope we hope for and assurance of unseen hope. So this hope is so precious that it's kept for us in heaven. It is for now unseen, but we are given a living hope the assurance of it being there to sustain us every day in this life. Paul points to the sustaining nature of this hope in his letter to the church at Colossae. He praised them for the faith in Jesus and their love of God's people. Colossians 1.5, he writes this, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Faith and love are hallmarks of lives lived with Jesus as Lord. They grow in us when we are rooted in this unseen hope. 
Paul, being the letter writer that he was, uh, has other examples of addressing this issue of hope. When he wrote his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, verse 1, he introduces himself this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ, our hope. That made me think of, of John. When John wrote in his gospel, John, first, uh, his letter, first letter, John 14, 16, he said, God is love. Love is God. God is love. Here, Peter is saying, Jesus is hope. You might recall what David Upchurch said last month about heaven. He described it as a Jesus place. A Jesus place. That's so cool. A place where he is. Where hope is. This hope that is unseen now. Hope for which we wait patiently. It sustains us in faith and love as we live our new lives. Our hope is unseen, being kept safe for us in heaven, but it is not uncertain. Our living hope is the assurance, a promise that we have not yet realized. What will it be like when we do realize it? When we are face-to-face with God, love. Face-to-face with Jesus, hope. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. What we see now is like a dim image in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. What I know now is only partial. It's unseen. Then it will be complete. Our patient waiting in hope will be complete when we are united with love and hope in the Jesus place. That's a thought that should bring us joy. So let's look at joy. Excuse me. With unseen hope as our foundation, our living hope brings us joy during this time of waiting patiently. Paul provided a direct connection between Jesus and our unseen hope. Peter shows us the link between unseen hope and joy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he writes this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hope is sustaining us throughout our new lives as we live with an assurance that brings us joy because we are in the process of realizing our hope, of being with our hope in heaven. Now, why do we need sustaining in this life? That's maybe a trick question. I think maybe you know the answer. But in one case, Jesus describes life's journey to his apostles this way. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse uh, verse 20. He says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. On my first trip to Kenya, I met a young lady, and she was there. She was a student at the University of Michigan, and she was working on a thesis that was related to community health in poor rural communities, and there were plenty of those in uh, central Kenya. And so she was explaining some of the things she'd seen, and one of the things that really weighed on her 
was the effect of these little bugs that live in the dirt. They called them jiggers, like gnats or fleas, and they get into the kids' feet and feet. And of course, and she loved the kids, and she was talking about all these things she saw and, and what it meant to her. And she said, you know, life's just not all daisies and hot dogs, you know. And I love that. I mean, you know, really, come on. So Paul discussed this not all daisies and hot dogs life and a proper response to it in his second letter to the church at Corinth. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he goes through some four things, and there's two sides to these. And I'll read the first side first. We are afflicted in every way. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. We are struck down. But at every step, he says, you know, but we're not crushed. But we're not in despair. We're not abandoned. We know we're not abandoned. And we're not destroyed. How can that be? You know, tell, tell me how, Paul, you can go through all this and have that attitude. Well, he explains that in 2 Corinthians, just a few verses later in verse 18, 418. He says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So moving on, the hope version of this verse would look like this. We fix our eyes not on hope that is seen, but on our hope that is unseen. Since hope that is seen is temporary, but hope that is unseen is eternal. You know, what strikes me, you know, this is, this is kind of an engineer thing now, so, but I won't use any equations. Uns, unseen hope is like spiritual gravity. It's not visible, but it pulls, pulls us steadily and reliably in the right direction. I would... Uh, sum up what I've said so far in a commentary to the Hope Bible. And it goes like this. The joy of the world is no joy at all. Rather, we live our new lives in Christ with an inappropriate joy that is born out of the assurance of the hope that is waiting for us in heaven, where we will be forever and completely expressing the joy of being with Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our hope. Now, inappropriate joy. How can joy be inappropriate? I'm going to turn this over to Alistair Begg to explain this because I was looking at a sermon of his on the subject of hope that he gave in 2010. And during that message, uh, toward the end, he shared a little story. So I'm going to share that with you. He, he says uh, he was at a conference speaking. <clears throat> Excuse me. And after the conference, uh, a lady came up and started talking to him. And this was their conversation. Alistair, I have an illustration for you, said the lady. I said, good. I'd cross the burning desert in my bare feet for a good illustration right now. Shoot, give it to me. And so she gave it to me. I assumed there would be a moment when this illustration would be useful. And now is the moment. And here it is. Does this describe our hope that is active in the present? Yes. The lady told me she was visiting a friend in hospital, a gentleman suffering from brain cancer. He was impaired deeply by it, and the treatments he was receiving were phenomenally daunting. 
but his trust and his hope in Christ were such that it was striking to those who were caring for him. And one of the nurses in duty, seeing this man, wrote this in his chart as a critical comment. A critical comment. Mr. X this morning is inappropriately joyful. Inappropriately joyful. What a wonderful testimony. Because the secular mind says there is no possibility of joy. You're dying, Mr. X. What do you mean you've had a good night? What do you mean it's a fine day? What do you mean? Well, you see, he has a hope that stands the test of time. He's been born again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Mr. X is not a moralist. Mr. X is not a religionist. Mr. X isn't a self-help guru. Mr. X is a Christian. How do we embrace hope and joy in our lives? Well, here are some practical steps that I'd recommend. I noted earlier in our new life that our new lives begin with a new identity. We accept Jesus as our Savior and we're justified. God sees us as just because Jesus has paid our debt. We're also sanctified. Simply put, we are set apart to live this life with purpose. This is something we need to be equipped for and to continue to grow into, to mature. You know, the definition that we use for disciple is not a bad definition for maturing. Disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. And I would offer this when you look at that verse. Learning to live like Jesus does mean learning to love like Jesus. The first step in this is knowledge of the truth. So practical step number one, abide in God's word. Truth is realized by abiding in God's word. I think of the word abide as one of being absorbed and wrapped in and it's a comfortable, cozy thing. But it also just means continue and stay with it. We have some helpers. First of all, we have God's word. I mean, that's the great resource. That's our new guide in our new life. And we have a new helper in our new life. And that's the Holy Spirit. That when we're abiding in the word, the Holy Spirit is at work with us. So Jesus recorded, uh, uh, John recorded Jesus telling the disciples, that, that the Jewish disciples that were following him. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8, 31 and 32. What truths are we looking for? Well, of course, there's the truth of the gospel message. We are justified by God's grace through Jesus' sacrifice. And we are given a sustaining, living hope in the form of the assurance of the unseen hope <clears throat> that is kept for us in heaven to support us in the life for which we are sanctified. Now, some personal experience. Uh, I mentioned I started a particularly focused Bible study on this idea of, you know, what's new in our lives. And along the way, I decided a couple of years ago I would read through the Bible in a year. And, I, and Shirley had given me 
a gift. And it's to read the Bible in a year organized with some Old Testament, some Psalms, some Proverbs, and some New Testament for every day of the year. And I read through the whole thing. Now, one of the interesting things was I, I was kind of looking more for this idea that the Bible is Jesus' story. You keep that in mind and then read the Bible. Well, it takes a while. You know, that's a lot of reading to do. Not too much. I mean, I encourage you to do it. And then after that, I thought, well, you know, I want to get more into, you know, what Jesus taught and, and also, you know, who Jesus is. What does the Bible present Jesus in uh, the form that he was when he walked this earth? And so I read the New Testament in a year. And that was last year. And this year, I decided that I really want to get into some of the teaching that is founded on the principles of what we learn about Jesus and who he is and who God is. And so I'm reading the letters of the Bible in a year. Interesting thing about that is it does go faster. But I now have a journal, and every day when I read, I write in my journal. You actually have time to dig into it. Abide in God's Word. Okay, so God's Word sets us free. What are we free to do then? Well, that would be the next two practical steps. First of those is we are free to share our faith. Peter offers some good advice on this. First, I'll note what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, love one another deeply from the heart. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he sort of continues on from this thought, and he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. You know about our vision for forming disciples, I'm sure. Invite, equip, and send. Loving each other is one form of sharing our faith. It is the light that invites the world. The world that observes us. The world that would come and see what this light is all about. Now, Peter, in anticipation of that happening, offers some more advice. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. You know, those who have come to see and now want to know. Though those who ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We need to know for ourselves in our own words, based on the knowledge of the word and our response to it, what this hope is and why we have it so we can share it with those who have come to see. Finally, we are free to cultivate inappropriate joy. This is living our faith. How do we do this? We follow the truths found in God's word with prayer and the help of the Holy Spirit. We draw strength from God's assurances of unseen hope, knowing that we are forever going to be in a not-all-daisies-and-hot-dogs world. And we ground our daily lives in the living hope we were given when we began our new lives with Jesus as Lord. These things will, I believe, lead us to being Romans 12, 12 Christians. I don't know if that's a thing, but it is right now. Romans 12, 12, we are joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Jesus is hope 
for everyone. If you feel that hope is missing from your life, this would be a good time to make the decision to confess Jesus as your Savior and be baptized into a new life in his living hope. Come right now if you wish, or see me or any of the other elders if you need someone to talk with later. I'll close with prayer by reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen.